Hi, Royals fans. This is J.J. Piccolo. The University of Kansas Health System is the official health care provider of the Kansas City Royals. And gone! Trust the same experts who make the right call for the Royals and go to kansashealthsystem.com slash royals. The KC Legend Show on Sports Radio 810 WHB. Live from Hollywood Casino at Kansas Speedway. Here's your host, Sterling Holmes. Welcome into the KC Legends Show, Sports Radio 810 WHB. I am Sterling Holmes, live at Hollywood Casino at Kansas Speedway. We'll be here until 7 p.m. Every Monday from 6 to 7, we'll be here live with special guests, former Chiefs legends getting their inside perspectives on their career, past Chiefs game, a look ahead to the upcoming one plus the Monday night football game. Tonight's special guest is former Chiefs wide receiver and broadcaster, Garrick Dieter. Garrick, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm, uh... I'm locked in on the baseball right now, so my mind's uh, out of football, but football's kicking off here soon, so we'll be locked in in a minute. Well, what better place to bet than right here at Hollywood Casino? we got all these TVs. you got live betting options. Uh, It is a very good time. Now, who do you have tonight's game? Baseball uh, game before we get okay, football. Okay, baseball. My buddy, I bet with my buddy. He was he was leaning towards Braves early on in the day. I was leaning Phillies, See? and I kind of let him make the final decision. I'm like, just go with your heart. He's like, all right, and it goes one zero. I'm like, oh man, this dude went with the Braves, and then he told me he bet uh, Phillies. So. I'm in a good mood. You're in a good mood for now. now. After for that two-run shot, yeah, you're feeling, exactly. feeling a little you, you better. You never know what's going to happen, though. At, at the casino games, though, what's your go-to? Uh, blackjack, if I had to pick one. Okay. A, I like. I like to. I just like to sit down. I like to sit there for a few hours, have fun. I'm not trying to break the bank or anything, but I like to. It's. I mean, it's a fun game just to sit with your boys and, and just deal cards. It's a great game, but I'm so bad. Like I understand. It's, it's like it's impossible it's to be bad. Uh, well, not bad, but mm, what's the word? It's impossible to be like really good at any casino. So it's sure. like as long as you're having fun, I think when you're here to try to break the bank, I think that's when it gets worse. So as long as you're having fun, that's the uh, that's the main main deal. I have a couple beers and yep. hang out. I do want to get into the Chiefs now. Chiefs sit here at four and one. Yep. It feels like the offense has yet to fully click. Mahomes, the wide receivers, it just seems a little bit off. But the Chiefs lead mm-hmm. in the AFC, and yet folks are out here freaking out. Their yeah. only loss was to. A NFC opponent, week one. This should almost feel like a scary sight for right. the rest of the NFL, the way the Chiefs' defense is playing. And, again, they have yet to click. Right, yeah. it's uh, It's been a weird season, I think. I think, obviously, the having a 4-1 record and only losing the game that Kelsey didn't play, that's obviously a huge component with the Chiefs. But they just haven't looked the same, and I think that's something that we're not used to as fans and as a former player. I'm not used to the offense kind of being the, the secondary uh, deal and the defense this year has been incredible. I mean, they're flying around, they're making plays. All levels of the ball is really good, really athletic. So, um, defense wins championships. So, I mean, it kind of has been the offense the past few years. But I mean, this year with the way it's looking, it looks like the defense could lead us to. I mean, some of the higher when we play the Bills and the Dolphins, we're going to lean on obviously the defense to have a good game and, and put us in the right position. When you look at what the Chiefs have done over the past few off seasons, they have spent a lot of draft capital, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You know, a first rounder Carl Loftus, mm-hmm. first rounder FAU, a lot of second rounders in the linebackers, first rounder Trent McDuffie. Yep. To me, it seems like an effort to try and improve this defense. It, to me, it goes back to what. New England did uh, with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. It was, all right, we know Brady, given a good offense, could put up 35. Yep. But let's also help him out so he doesn't have to score 35 a game. Brady can make wide receivers better. Yep. Mahomes, 
theoretically can make wide receivers oh, yeah. better. Yeah, he yeah, can't no make question. the defense better. Right. So to me, this almost was a philosophical drafting um, option that Chiefs went with. Do you see some of the same parallels or similarities there? Yeah, I mean, a thousand percent. I think when you look back at the Patriots dynasty, like you said, they didn't necessarily have the, the big-name receivers towards the end of it. I mean, they were... Obviously, you can go to Moss and Wes Welker and them, but those guys, compared to the Chiefs receivers nowadays, it's like you can't, if you look back at some of the Super Bowl teams that the uh, Patriots had, you can't necessarily name four or five receivers on that team. It's It was receiver by committee, and that's kind of what you're seeing with the Chiefs. And it's working so far. Pat can run around and make plays, and guys get open. Uh, there's so many just random receivers right now that are just making plays left and right, and it's great to see. I mean, that's what you want. As Coach Reed, uh, he doesn't seem too worried about it, so I think that's kind of the biggest thing. As long as the coaches don't aren't worried about it, Pat's not saying anything negative in the media, and I mean, it, they're winning games, so yeah, they're four and one. Yeah, you can't complain <laughs> too much. And Pacheco's looking like he's getting better. Um, yeah, they're doing everything right, and it's it's fun to see. It's it's not what we're used to, and I think we're used to. We see Tyreek Hill going off every single week, and it's like, man, we had him on the team, and that's sure. kind of what we relied on. But this year, it's it's not going to be sexy. It's going to kind of just be methodical, and it just uh, – I just don't think the offense looks efficient yet. And I, I'm waiting for that game, the, I don't know, four or five drives in a row where they just are, in, are, are efficient, and, and it looks – uh, just fun to watch. And yeah. right now it's kind of ugly. They're winning ugly, but it's not a bad thing. They're yeah. winning games. So. Uh, uh, ugly wins are still a win. You don't yeah. apologize for winning games. Garrett Dieter is our guest as we are here live at Hollywood Casino at Kansas Speedway. Again, we will be here until 7 p.m. Going to Andy Reid really quickly. You mentioned how he doesn't seem concerned yet. Mm-hmm. He never seems concerned. His demeanor never changes outside of when Juwan Taylor was getting right. flagged perpetually. Then it seemed like he started to get a little more yep. heated, especially in the post-game interview. But Andy Reid's demeanor hardly ever changes. Is that something that you guys look to? When you're a player for Andy Reid, you see him, when things are going well, mm-hmm. he's still level. Things right. are going bad, he is still level. You don't see that around the NFL with a lot of different head coaches, college football especially. Yeah. But how, how does that affect a player when he is so calm throughout everything yeah i mean that's as a player you look to your leaders you look to coach your head coach if they're kind of level-headed in the the goods and the bads that's kind of what you want when you have a coach that's going crazy if things aren't going right and calling people out left and right it doesn't make you feel good as a player you don't have really you don't have confidence in uh, him you don't have confidence in yourself and you don't have confidence in your teammates and when he's level-headed and and speaking well in the media and uh, that's he's the same way behind closed doors. I mean, he he calls, I think, position groups out. I think that's kind of Coach Reed's deal, and it's always the bigs. He's always calling out the bigs. It's like, all right, this game starts with you guys. We have to win up up front. You win the game, and uh, that's, I mean, that's that's how it's happening this year. Yeah. So you just, as a player, you, that's what you want. You want you want guys that are confident. You want a coach that's confident, and uh, when you have Pat at quarterback, a lot of. He makes up for a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, right now, you look at the wide receiver group. They're you know six deep, seven deep if you count Richie James when he is healthy, and it feels like with that many guys, it's really hard to get into a rhythm. You right. Know? Justin Ross played six snaps last game, four targets, right. two catches, two drops. But you see Rasheed Rice, what he's starting to do yep. in a limited amount of snap count. But it's, it, it's starting to feel like they need to come up with an actual game plan, an actual rotation. Because right now the NBA-style rotation yeah. doesn't seem to be getting guys in a good rhythm. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a big component. When you have such a young group, like you said, the rhythm of the game is, is different in the NFL. And 
when you aren't necessarily in there every single snap, it's hard. It's hard to play football. I mean, you you get out of a rhythm. Uh, I was talking to Blake Bell about uh, his injury-prone season last year, and he's a guy that's normally playing special teams and and in on offense rotationally. But last year he went back after missing 12, 12 games or whatever, and he called me after the game. He's like, "Bro, like this is on. Like it's so hard to get in the rhythm of the game." And I was sure. like. I was like, being a practice squad guy, if you got called up, that was literally your job. It was be ready in that like in that moment, have have rhythm in the game, and it was tough. I mean, it's as a young player that just didn't have too much experience. It's it's not easy to play, but um, I think one thing that will help them is guys learning multiple positions. I think they're still. Uh, it seems like guys are just kind of playing the same position as years past. We had guys that were here for four or five years, and they're they're moving all around. They can play every position. I think towards the end of the season this year, I think we'll see guys kind of stick. I think Rasheed Rice is going to obviously play. He's looked great so far, and I think the confidence in him. Uh, Pat has obviously has confidence, and Coach Reed has confidence in him. But the more he can move around, the, the better he's going to be and the more uh, just in sync he'll be in the game. Since you brought up Blake Bell. Did he ever talk about how much he likes the belldozer? Does he love those fourth and ones? He, those? Uh, <laughs> I think he's got mixed feelings on it. I think it, just because it hasn't worked. I think uh, obviously as a competitor, you want the ball in your hands. Sure. And, uh, I think he would. I don't know. It's it's tough to say. I don't want to speak for him, but I feel like he would. He'd much rather get the snap like sure. like he did in college. Like get in the shotgun, run around the edge, and just run somebody over. It's, yeah. I mean, it's he's a belldozer. It's tough. <laughs> if it's I mean. The Eagles make it look really easy, but it's tough when a team knows kind of what's going to happen. And I think we've shown that tendency when Blake gets in there at quarterback, we're going to QB sneak. And I don't know how the Phillies do it so well, but they are they make that play look way easier than it is. And, um, yeah, I think <laughs> I feel like Blake would much rather get that get that quarterback snap back in the yeah. back in shotgun and, and run around the edge, find a hole somewhere. But. Hey, it is what it is. You gotta you gotta work with what you get. <laughs> you, you, uh, you mentioned the preparation aspect because you had the same thing going up and down practice squad to the mm-hmm. rate to the active squad. You know, you came up in a playoff game with a catch, right? Yep. You saw it last year with Marcus Kemp coming up with a huge uh, catch in the playoffs. Yep. I, I think you almost have that as a staple of Kansas City. Guys are constantly ready. Yeah. Does that go from Andy Reid? Is that something that you guys, um, you know, preach about? How do you guys stay ready? I think it's player to player. Uh, I I think I think some guys aren't necessarily fit for that role. You have to, like you said, you really have to be locked in. You have to be mentally ready. Um, and I think something that separated Camp and myself was we knew everything in the playbook. We knew every single play. We could go in and play tight end if we had to. And I mean that's that's being there for four or five years and camp obviously there for six years so uh just having confidence in yourself that you can learn everything that you study the right way and uh it comes with being there forever um and then obviously you're thrown in practice i mean i remember my second year i was backing up tyreek the whole season so i'm literally doing all his motions every single thing i'm getting reps there camp if kelsey was banged up camp will go to tight end so it's like we are kind of interchangeable so we had confidence and uh, we actually studied a lot together and, and helped each other out, but I think it's player to player. I think not all players have the right mentality or right attitude to come off practice squad and, and be prepared because it's not, it's not an easy job. Garrett Dieter is our guest right here, Hollywood Casino at Kansas Speedway, the KC Legend Show. We will be here until 7 p.m. Going to Rasheed Rice, 
Rasheed Rice right now, whatever your thoughts are on PFF, he's ranked 11th in yep. PFF right now. That's including the drops, which we know have been a little bit of an issue for him so far. But that also takes into account how much he's having an impact this early right. in his career. He's starting to look like the outlier yeah. of an Andy Reid rookie wide receiver. Yeah. How impressive has Rasheed Rice been so far, so early into right. his young career? Yeah, he looks awesome. Uh, I've, I, I could speak more on it if I watched kind of the game tape and saw everything, but just from watching him, the plays that he is in, he looks like he's playing fast. He's obviously comfortable with the positions that they have him in. And when he gets the ball in his hands, he just kind of looks different. You know, there's there's guys that uh, catch the ball and kind of get upfield, get a couple yards, and it just kind of all looks the same speed. When he gets the ball, it looks a little a little bit faster. I mean, he looks like a Sammy Watkins if he was healthy, like yeah. 24-7. And that's something I think Chiefs should be very excited about. I think he's got a bright future, and it seems like he's a great kid, and everybody likes him. Yeah. Just when you look at what he has done, because you don't see rookie oh, yeah. wide receivers in Andy Reid-led system. That's always been the, yeah. the knock. You know, yeah. It's too complex. It's too difficult, or he won't play them. Right. He is bucking that trend. Some might be because of necessity, right? Yeah. He's, he seemingly has shown the most so far this year. Why is it so hard for wide receivers to pick up an Andy Reid-led system as a wide receiver? Uh, I think you just have to know every position. I think that's something that Coach Reed wants you to have. Like I told you, said earlier, it's it's having the flexibility of all right. This guy might be in the wrong position, but he knows what he's going to do. So if we, if a personnel group gets out there and um, some of the guys get confused on what the personnel group is, you like, all right, you go there, you go there, and everybody knows what they're doing. And it seems like now it's it's kind of the complete opposite. It's like all right, guys know their plays, they know what position groups coming in. And they know what five, six, seven, eight plays are in that uh, that package, and you just feel comfortable with those ones, and you're going to run what those plays are, not nothing else. So it seems like he's very confident with the plays that he is getting, um, and obviously, hopefully, the workload kind of continues because he does look like he could be a great receiver, um, and I think he's showing that. But I think another thing is just how young that re- receiver room is, having the opportunity to to get out there and, and show yourself. I think that's something that hasn't been the past six years and we've come in up until last year the group before that the last the year five years before that was the five six guys in the room were the same guys for five six years so it's tough for any young receiver to come in and and one make an impact and two uh just stand out because you had Tyreek Hill you had Demarcus Robinson Pringle Sammy uh Kemp myself McColl so it was it was hard for any young guy to come in because we are all kind of put in like, all right, it's, you know, Tyreek D-Rob and uh, Pringle or Sammy are with the ones. You know, myself, Kemp, and McColl are with the twos, and it's like, all right, you're with the threes, and you're not sure. necessarily going to get the same opportunity that you might get now. When you look at Justin Ross, because that's always a fan favorite, right? Yep. They always look back at the tape from Clemson. I mean, he was obviously right. absolutely electric. You see some of the catches he makes even this past game against the Vikings. You're like, holy bleep. That, right. that, he went up and got that thing. Yep. Is some of the reason why his snap count is low? I liken it to basketball, right? He's really good on design yeah. plays. If the coach, you, you come out of a timeout, you need a three. Right. All right, you go to Justin Ross. Yeah. But in the flow of the game, he's still young. He's still learning. Mm-hmm. You know, the first fifteen, that's great, and he can get you something here. If it's a right. design play directly to him, that's why you see four targets on six receptions. Yeah. It's designed for him. Is that what the next step is in your mind for him? He's got to get better in just the flow of the game. Yeah, I think. Playing receiver in the NFL is not easy. You have to play full speed every single play. You have to like it was, keep keep going back to, but you have to know everything. Everything you have to play fast and be confident in the playbook, and that's not easy to do. Um, but I think going back, 
with Justin, I think he's shown flashes, obviously, but I think that getting him in the game, and hopefully it's, it seems like Coach Reed's working him in a little bit more and more each game, uh, getting him that confidence to, to go out there and just kind of feel the speed of the game. I think it's completely different from preseason to going against the ones. Uh, I think going against uh, one defense in the NFL is the speed you can't really compare. It's 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 night and day. Twos versus ones is, is night and day, and I don't think a lot of people realize that uh, at every position. So um, just him getting in there, working a little bit more, uh, I would. I don't know what kind of shape he's in, but I, sure. it's hard for a receiver to play forty plays full speed, and I think that's something what's so fun to watch Tyreek do is he makes that look easy. Like yeah. he, that dude can play sixty plays and go full speed, and he's still faster than everybody at the end of the game, and, yeah. and it's special talents like that to, to watch. So you were probably pumping the brakes a little bit in the preseason when all these wide yeah, receivers yeah, yeah. are going. <laughs> I, I'm always. I mean, I'm I'm kind of obviously a little bit harder on receivers. Sure. I feel like I know what I see and uh, feel confident I can kind of give a good tell if a guy's going to be good or not but they have a lot of young players that, that have shown promise so that's all you can hope for as a Chiefs fan is that they just continue to get better they can continue to to gain confidence uh, and you want Pat to trust them yeah. you want Pat to throw them the ball uh, I think guys that are in there a bunch and don't necessarily get targets I think you can kind of look at that as he might not have as much confidence in you so well that was my next question Garrick was you look at the the situation of let's say Sky Moore right yep. now. I'm, I'm a huge Sky Moore guy. Yep. I comped him to Deontay Johnson coming out of college. You know, a guy who's maybe not the most athletic guy, right. but he he finds ways to get open. He, he's quick without being overly fast. Yeah, um, we've not seen that from him yet, and I've seen a little half and half. You know, some of the analytical community that the all 22s are saying, "All right, Sky Moore is getting open," right, and the other people are saying, "Yeah, he's not getting open." Yeah, is it a lack of separation? Is this a case of Mahomes isn't finding the trust with him? Where do you find that line between separation and lack of trust? I would I would weigh the, the trust factor a little bit more. I mean, obviously, I don't know what's going on in the building, so it's hard for me to say like I don't watch the game film like I don't sure. necessarily see if he's open every play but um when you're playing that much I think you expect a little bit more production I think he's obviously obviously shown flashes that he can run great routes and has great speed and and looks different after he catches the ball but uh he needs I just think he needs to put it together I think I don't know if he's not the one or the two on each play like I mean obviously Pat has his progressions that he goes through and then he makes a play but if he's not that one or two um it's it's not hard to get the ball but it's a, it's a little bit more difficult and it's unfortunate that he's playing that much and doesn't get as many targets and as many catches because obviously if you're playing that much I feel like you deserve a little bit more so hopefully he does get some more targets and more catches uh keep going back to it get that confidence going and sure. once as a receiver if you get confidence and and you feel like you're playing at a high level you you, you kind of go back to what you came out like if you were in college going for a thousand yards you feel like you can do that over sure. and over but if you're in there and playing 40 plays a game you're not getting a catch it's like damn I, I might be getting clamped up pat doesn't trust me what's what's going on so it's weird to see but uh it's a long season they're only five games in so sure a lot, a lot of things can happen in the next 12. I always say in ordinary men terms, right? I, I, I didn't play in the NFL, right. didn't play college football, wasn't playing D1. Yep. In normal terms, in softball, when you're hitting the ball well, you're like, yeah. oh, that ball's gone. Right. I, every swing's in golf. Yeah. I'm, I'm a pretty big golfer. When yep. you're hitting the ball well, you're like, I know this yep. drive's going straight. I know it's not a snap. Yep. But when things are going wrong, you start to question yourself. Uh, Garrick Dieter is our guest right here at Hollywood Casino. Uh, before we go to break, 
You played at three different colleges. Yeah. You played at Bowling Green, SMU, and then Alabama. How different was your experience at each different college, right? I mean, those are three different levels, it seems like. Yeah. And then eventually you went to the SEC. You had some uh, some nice success yeah. there at Alabama. W- what was that that like, your college experience? Uh, so I started at SMU. Um, I think SMU and Bowling Green are pretty comparable talent-wise. SMU might have a little bit more talent. Um, but it's uh, SMU was... You know, you learn a lot going to your freshman year. I played uh, as a true freshman and, and thought I did pretty well, but some things happened and I just wasn't loving football and I needed to get closer to home and uh, get with the coaching staff that I kind of liked a little bit more. So I go to, to Bowling Green with Dave Clawson and his staff was great and they welcomed me back in two hours from home. You get that love for football back, um, play with my brother, met my wife. A lot of great things happened at Bowling Green and we were a really good football team. And then... Uh, Long story short, but going to uh, Bama, my coach from Bowling Green, Dino Babers, left Bowling Green to go to Syracuse, and I was trying to go to Syracuse with him. Sure. And then there was kind of a little bit of controversy with my athletic director saying he might not block me, but make it a little bit harder because Dino was accused of stealing Bowling Green recruits, and mm. they had a little bit of beef. And I was I was graduating, so I could kind of go where I wanted, and then. Bama offered me, and it was once you go down there, it's kind of hard to turn down. And sure, it was good for me. I mean, it's a great year for to kind of see the difference in talent. You know, you go against some of these true freshmen. I remember in the summer, uh, they put the newcomers with the <clears throat> with all the freshmen that came in, and just going against those guys every single play, it's like, all right, these dudes are a little bit different from the Mac guys, and uh, it's. I mean, it, it was it was a great year for me. I mean, it was kind of like a minor league year. You go sure. where you learn how to play special teams. You learn how to, to block. You learn how to play without the ball. And uh, it was something that benefited me. And obviously now having the Bama name behind me, if I ever need to use it, it's pretty powerful. <laughs> so uh, a lot of great things happened, and uh, it was a great experience. You know, Coach Saban's obviously the best college coach ever. And then you go to Coach Reed, who's one of the best NFL coaches ever. And it's it's awesome to, to play for two uh, just Hall of Fame coaches. Do you have any good Saban stories? Because I had a chance to sit down with Will Anderson before the draft, yep. and I said, do you have any fun Saban stories? He was laughing saying, the, the day he knew he made it yeah. was when Saban called him by his name right. and not just his number. Right. He goes, oh, oh wow. Yeah. Okay, I, I did something here. Yeah. No, uh, I mean, I, after the first game, I scored a long touchdown against USC in our season opener, and then, like, we watched film the next few days, and he does this thing like called the good bad and ugly and like sure. that play ended up hitting all three categories and it was all because of me i scored and i had my family up in like the second deck uh so i like point to the point to them and i don't think anything of it I go back to the sideline whatever i'm not like overly celebrating or anything and uh that's the the one play coach coach saving put on tape he was like we don't do this at, uh, at Alabama he's a Toledo guy so Toledo and Bowling Green were big big rivalries and uh he he kind of made a he took a quick little jab at me but it was all fun he's he's a just anytime he speaks to you or speaks about you or whatever you take it uh and have so much respect for him I mean the, the things that he does as a coach uh getting these five-star guys left and right getting them to buy in and i think that's something that's so underrated about him is he gets these guys to buy into the program buy into the system uh the egos that high school kids have nowadays is on another level so for him to continue to deal with it it's i mean it's crazy (laughs) has that changed because i know it sounds like i'm getting old now i'm 29 
what are you, 30? Yeah, 30. About the same age. And maybe it's because we're getting older, but it does feel like there's a difference. Like when I was in high school, it didn't seem like it was this. Yeah. And maybe it was. There's obviously, you go back to Deion Sanders in right. college, the same thing, but that seemed more like the outlier, yeah. not the norm. Now it seems like that is more of the norm. Yeah. Maybe we're we're getting older. If you, I mean, <laughs> it, I, that's what I always, I always try to figure out if I'm, I'm getting older and grumpy or what the deal is. But it seems like high school kids just have a little bit more ego. And I think, obviously, social media is a big part of it. Uh, social media, when I was in high school, was just kind of kicking off. It was kind of the, the next big thing. And so I always look back. I was kind of lame. Like, I always call myself lame. Like, if I look back, like, I was kind of not ashamed, but I would go back and do some things different on social sure. media and stuff. And um, I think just nowadays it's blown into another proportion. They're getting paid. They, they have money. And uh, with money comes ego at a young age. So I think a lot of these kids have ego. And they expect everything just to be given to them. And you go to a place like Bama, it's kind of the complete opposite. Coach lets the players kind of police it. You look up to the the guys that have been there a few years, the the former five-star recruits sure. that come in and, and just learn and, and sit in their place and do everything the right way because if you do that, the chances are you're probably going to go to the NFL and have a, a have a good career. But he, uh, <laughs> yeah, high school kids – Social media. I mean, I think that's that's deep down. That's what it is, and it just gives guys egos. Yeah, yeah. I, I know I'm old though too because I was listening to Yacht Rock before I came in here. I had some nice uh, Christopher Cross on uh, on the radio. But we'll take a quick break. Come back. Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome back to the KC Legend Show right here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. Again, Sterling Holmes here live at Hollywood Casino at Kansas Speedway from now until 7 p.m. Garrick Dieter is our guest. Garrick, we were talking about the 49ers right there in the break. One, they look unreal right yep. now. We had a little, little parallels here between what the 49ers are doing and what Miami is doing yep. down there, right? Mike McDaniels, a uh, Shanahan disciple. Oh, yeah. You don't always see those translations actually work. We're yep. trying to see it work down there. How impressive have both of those teams been so far? Obviously, the 49ers last night just dismantling yeah. the Cowboys, pulling Dak Prescott early into the fourth quarter. Yeah. Crazy. 49ers seem like a wagon. I mean, it <laughs> seems like they're... They're smoking everybody. They're beating the good teams and making them look bad. Like, Cowboys are a good NFL football team. And the way that they made them look last night, it's it looks like they're unstoppable. So it's, if they stay healthy, man, they're going to be tough to beat. I love, I would love to obviously see the Chiefs play the 49ers again and see how that ends up. Um, but, man, seeing what Miami does, they're, I don't think there's – a lot of people compare them to the 18 Chiefs when the yeah. offense was just scoring, what, 37 points a game and – the most exciting football you can watch. Like every play could be a touchdown. And that's what you're seeing in Miami. It's, uh, like you said, you don't necessarily see um, Shanahan's system work everywhere else other than there with the sure. Niners. But he's doing a great job of being creative, moving guys around. I don't think anybody motions more, moves around more than Tyreek. And to get him the ball in so many different facets, if it's motion, going outside, coming in, backfield, whatever, uh, that's where you see, one, how smart Tyreek is, one, how smart Coach McDaniel is, and, and just seeing that stuff, it's impressive because it's not easy to do. Uh, to get your star players the ball when the other team knows that's who you're trying to get the ball, uh, you see that a lot with Kelsey. Coach Reed moves him around every single play. and uh, Yeah, the 49ers, though, man, they're, 
they're going to be tough. And they finally start using Kittle as yeah. a receiver. You see it like once every five games with right. him. I mean, I, I get it. He's had some injuries as well. And we'll ne- we're never going to live down this Kelsey-Kittle talk because right. it's clearly Travis Kelsey. Yeah. It's, it's not even close. But George Kittle's a great tight end in his own right. And you're sitting here just watching him toil away at times, use him as a receiver. You're seeing some of that with Kyle Pitts down there in Atlanta. Right. You're hearing a lot of fans on Twitter clamoring to save Kyle Pitts. Yeah. Do you ever think that Kyle Pitts could be the heir to oh, the Kelsey. Travis Kelsey throne. Is that something uh, that you would like to see, a possibility, or is that a little too far-fetched for you? I feel like it's far-fetched. I think comparing anybody to Kelsey as a coming in and playing behind him and, and trying to learn to do what he does, I think, uh, he, one, he's played in the NFL for a long time, and yeah. uh, I don't think there's not too many players that have the freedom that he has on the football field. Uh, I, this seems like him and – him he. Coach Reed gives him a lot of opportunity to kind of do what he needs to do to get open, and you're seeing that a lot this year. It's it's hard to recognize what plays they're running. I'm like, I try to watch Kelsey. I'm like, all right, what are we doing here? He doesn't look like he's really running a route, but he gets open and gets the ball. So it's uh, it's different. I mean, that's kind of the same same thing in every position. You, If you're elite and you're one of the best of all time, you have freedom. You've earned that freedom to kind of do what you what you want on the football field because you know it works. Um, and I think the Kyle Pitts situation is interesting. You never – it's hard to judge from the outside. You don't sure. necessarily know if he's a hard worker, if he loves football, if he's a smart football player. There's a lot of factors that go into it that, I mean, Kelsey is all those intangibles. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's interesting to see. I mean, I think – there's been some Twitter clips I've seen that he just doesn't look very athletic and look fast, and it could be a pretty. I mean, it could be a big factor of things. It could just be he's not confident, he's not happy where he is, or they just doesn't think they're using him right. You know, there's a lot of different ways, but I think Kyle Pitts. They're solely. It seems like they're solely, solely use him as a receiver. And sure, Kelsey, he does mix around. He he puts his hand in the dirt, but. It's different. I mean, you got to, as a receiver, I think there's a different speed. And I know Kyle Pitts is, has a fast 40 time, but the in and out of breaks, the, I mean, defenders are really, really good. So it's, uh, you hope, you hope he plays a little bit better and gets the ball a little bit more, but it's hard to, hard to argue that, uh, anybody can keep up with Kells. Garrett, way to have a level, nuanced take on Kyle Pitts. I think you might be one of the first ones out <laughs> to actually do that. And speaking of level, nuanced takes, that's not happening on Twitter yeah. in regards to every time the Chiefs win. Mm-hmm. This must be a new phenomenon now where you go back in a game and find a missed call and say, right. and by the way, it doesn't even have to be a right missed call. Yeah. You, can, you can see the refs coming after and say, hey, no, that was actually the correct. doesn't matter once it's out there and you get enough right. people yelling. You saw it in the Jets game. Yeah. You saw it against the Vikings. Yeah. Is this the new normal? Is yeah. this the new normal for Chiefs fans where they have to deal with anything to almost bring them down to right. take away from their accomplishments? Yeah, I think, uh, like you said, there's a lot of people on Twitter that really think they know what they're talking about or they have the they have the right idea in their head. But it's uh, it's interesting. They Twitter people are funny. I think everybody obviously has the, their right to their own opinion, uh, and you want to point something out, that's great. Everybody's got a voice on Twitter. But at the same time, you can't complain too much. Uh, I think the good thing is that the, the Chiefs are winning games, and then, two, people don't care about bad teams. So, like, no. nobody's going to tweet too much about a, game, a call that happened in the Broncos game or a call <laughs> that happened in some other bad teams. 
game. So it's interesting. But yeah, Twitter, Twitter is a wild world. I think you see that as an athlete, as a as a athlete that was playing, I tried to stay off as much as possible because it does mess your head up. I mean, sure. you start reading what people are saying. It's like the Arrowhead, all these Arrowhead accounts. You're like, mm-hmm. like, why do they think they know what's going on? Like the depth charts and all that stuff. It's like they have no idea. But then it gets in your head. You're like. Why am I even? Why do I even care about that? And sure. I think that's something I've learned as I've gotten older. It's like, all right, I don't, I don't even care about that. Yeah, how hard is that? Because you're seeing all these people have a take about you, and yeah. then you feel like you're not allowed to give your side of the story. A yeah. lot of times, the real side of the story right. out there. And you've seen players a lot of times just here in Kansas City. You know, Tyron Matthew, Anthony Hitchens had yep. one. It, Correct me if I'm wrong. Hitchens always seemed like a very level-headed. Yeah, that's awesome. Just never made any noise and even yep. it got under his skin. Yeah. Um, you know, we saw it with Kadarius Tony a little oh, bit. Yeah. I mean, how hard is that for a player to try and keep your cool in these situations? Yeah, I think you have to have a, a good backing behind you. You have to. You have to really. I think you have to have people to talk to. I think if you're by yourself and read that those things and <clears throat> don't have a couple buddies to send it off to. You're gonna say some things that it's. I mean, it's the truth. It's on your mind, and it's sure. it's what you want to say. But at the same time, you can't go down to that level of. It's like this guy is probably a nobody. He's just trying to get under your skin. He thinks he knows what he's talking about. He doesn't. And it's so accessible. I mean, you pick up your phone, and they can mention you, and you're gonna see it. So, I mean, in the cases of Honey Badger and Hitch, it's like those guys are such good leaders, such good teammates, and they get on Twitter and. You can never really win an argument with the fan. You can you can put them in their place, but it. I mean, you you see it with uh, <laughs> at what cost? <laughs> exactly. You see it with Evan Neal with the Giants. It's like, okay, these guys. I mean, he might be saying the right like in in his head. He might be saying like, hey, this guy's a nobody, whatever. But you can't necessarily say that. Like the fans are what makes the NFL, and you just have to give them a little bit of respect and just uh, <laughs> just lay off as best you can. But it's not easy. I, I always laugh on a much smaller scale when you do radio, for example. Yeah. There's always going to be people that don't like oh, yeah. what I do. Uh, the amount of times I've been called a knockoff Jim Rome is <laughs> its astounding. And you got to laugh. Yeah. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And yep. I can understand from a player's perspective how hard that much uh, that must be. Yeah. Uh, I will say, someone who had some comments, Sean Payton, yeah. right, you know, going into this year, and I said, let's pump the brakes a little bit, Sean. Right. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a good head coach. Yeah. But he also had Drew Brees your whole career. That obviously makes things a little easier. Yeah. When you come in and start throwing a lot of shade at the former coaching staff, I said, that's fine, but you better come in and be four and one, right. not one and four. You yeah. better not get a thirty-one spot dropped on your dome yeah. by the OC, right. who you called yeah. one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. Yeah, it's, man, it's it's hard to as a player that was in the NFL. I think you see how much coaches respect each other. I think they have a. It's almost like a. It's just, I think, just that respect factor amongst coaches. Everybody, all coaches kind of like each other. All coaches kind of know one another. So it's like if you talk bad about a coach that just left and it's like it's not, it's a, it's a lose-lose. Like I was saying earlier, there's win-win situations, there's lose-lose, and that's a lose-lose all the way because nothing good is going to come out of it. You could end up having that coach on your staff down the road or he might be a head coach and you need help or whatever sure. the, whatever the case may be. And I think you saw that at the, the end of the game, how – uh, happy the players were of the Jets yeah. that that they beat the Broncos and everybody's going up to Hackett and and showing them how much they respect him and how much they care about him, and 
you see uh, you see the Jets coach go over and tell Peyton <laughs> to stay humble. I mean, it's yeah. at the end of the day, NFL is it's a humbling league. I mean, it's sure. not easy. You know, you go to obviously Sean Payton did a lot of great things with the Saints, but you go to another team where you don't necessarily have all the right the right fits for what you do and and who you are as a coach. I think you're seeing exactly what uh, what that leads into. Do, do you think there's a lot of that around the NFL? Obviously, you see Miami putting a 70 spot on them. Then you see Zach Wilson, the Jets go 31 to 20 yeah. against them. Yep. Again, the Dolphins could have broken the record, oh, yeah. but it, to me, it was almost more um, humbling, as you yeah. as you put it. To say we had the opportunity to, right. we chose not to. Yeah. Do you think there's something of a, of a coach's union, as you mentioned, saying, all right, we're going to try and give it to Sean here. Those yeah. comments don't fly. Yeah, I think uh, that's definitely obviously the case with the Jets. Uh, sure. I think they they made a they made a point to let that know. But I think if you look at just coaches around the league, I think every coach knows how hard it is to win games. And it's, uh, I mean, the NFL is not easy, and I think, people take it for granted when teams are great for even just good for an extended period of time i mean you see that i'm a yankees fan so like this year was hard for me to watch because they didn't make the playoffs but at the same time poor you yeah (laughs) they they finished three or two games above 500 and i like i look at the royals they're like they win 50 games so it's like there's there's different ways about it but at the same time it's not easy to win in pro sports everybody's doing their job it's just you find the right fit and some uh, some fits are better than others, and obviously it doesn't seem like Sean Payton has the right fits that he wants, uh, and it seems like he'll probably make changes in the offseason. I mean, I'm seeing it on Twitter every day that every player on their roster is up, could be up for trade, or sure. he could, he's nobody's safe, basically, so you never really know, but it seemed, I mean, he was in New Orleans for such a long time and had was a good team every single year, and you go here, and it's obviously a little bit different. We are here live at Hollywood Casino at Kansas Speedway. Garrett Dieter is my guest. I want to talk about the grass versus turf debate. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's even a debate anymore. It seems like almost every single player is all in on taking turf out, making it all grass. You saw Travis Kelsey yesterday. How much of that was turf? How much of that would have happened on grass? You know, we may never know, right. but the fact still remains. It feels like there are more major injuries on turf yeah. than on grass. Are you shocked the NFL has not done something different here when you have all your players? The biggest asset to your business, if you want to think yeah. the NFL is a business, because obviously it is, the biggest asset is the players. Right. They want one thing, and you're still dragging your feet. Yeah, it's uh, it's disappointing, I think. I think it's not – I mean, NFL makes so much money. It's not like it would put a financial burden on them to put grass in at every single place that has turf. and. Every if you talk to any NFL player, you want to play on grass. That's it's easier on the body, and you notice it as when we will go to the indoor and practice. The indoors got turf, obviously, and the next day you're a little bit more sore than you would be if you just were outside on the grass. And the injury stuff that you're seeing this year, I mean, it's it's one after the other, and it's it's bigger name guys. And I I don't know if that's what it's going to take for every stadium to switch over to grass. Uh, it seems like like I don't know. I think. Pat would have to call the NFL out, or sure. seems like the Swifties are calling out the NFL right now, and uh, I don't know what it's going to take, but it's uh, it's not good to see because 
like the Kelsey stuff, man, that could have been a season end, that could have ended his season. It could have put a really big burden in the Chiefs season. I mean, you don't want your number one guy going down uh, in a non-contact and something where his if it was on grass, it looked like your foot might have just slipped and he would have fell instead of it buckling. But it's a uh, I mean, I just remember how my body felt on turf first grass, and it wasn't even close. Yeah, you mentioned Travis and, and the Swifties yep. and, and this whole entire story. She didn't go to Minnesota, which you know that would have been true love. If you go to Minnesota, <laughs> yeah. that's fine. You go to Kansas City, you, you go to where the, his hometown where he's playing. Right. You go to New York, okay, I get that. You go to Minnesota, and that's that's a different story. But oh, yeah. what do you make of this? Because this is wild to me that. The Kansas City Chiefs, they're not New York. Right. They're not Hollywood. It's not Miami. It's not Chicago. Yeah. You're in the middle of the United States, and they are bigger than anything right now. You have a tight end, the number one player, the number one tight end in the NFL, Travis Kelsey, dating the number one superstar, pop star in the world. Yep. How crazy is this? Yeah, it is crazy. I mean, <clears throat> obviously, I think the success that Kelsey has had the last few years and uh, his podcast and just how much he's been on TV obviously opened a lot of people's eyes and just kind of shown the, the type of guy he is. And a lot of people obviously want to be with that type of guy. So, uh, yeah, good for him. I'm happy for him. It seems like he's happy. It seems like she's happy. Obviously, everything that he does now is going to be in the spotlight, which is obviously a little bit different. But uh, if there's anybody that can handle it, it's obviously him. And He's got a lot of confidence, and he's a... Oh, him? Yeah. He's got confidence? A little bit. He's got a lot of confidence, and uh, he, he handles things the right way. He's a he's a good dude at the end of the day. He's not going to... Like I was telling uh, the guy I was talking to over break, like, he's going to treat people right. He's You never really know who you're talking to, but at the end of the day, it's about treating people right, and that's what he does. One thing I want to bring up about this season is Steve Spagnolo in this defense. Yep. I always thought it was a little asinine. Again, we talked about social media, and it's not real life and all that, but all the you know fire spag stuff that's been going around. You see a guy who's won a Super Bowl as a defensive coordinator on two different organizations. Yep. You see a guy who obviously shows up in big-time games, yep. right? You know, I think everyone always expects everyone to be the absolute best. They expect him to be the, the Bill Belichick of the defensive coordinator. You're not going to get that, right? Yep. He is a damn good defensive coordinator, though, and you're starting to see the results this year. Yeah. He doesn't have to play or deal with a ton of rookies, which he's been fairly outspoken. You right. know, it's difficult for him when you have a whole bunch of rookies. Those rookies are now in their second year. Yeah. You're seeing Trent McDuffie, uh, a first-round corner, graduate up to being the third-ranked PFF cornerback. Uh, uh, yep. You're seeing all the um, you know input and draft capital into the the linebacker core, and as well as the defensive ends. You're seeing Chris Jones be well. Chris Jones. Right. I mean, you see the speed. You see the versatility. And now you're seeing it with Spags, who likes to draw these exotic blitzes. Right. This feels like a perfect mix for the two. Yeah. I think, uh, like you said, since Spags got here, the defense has been like fun to watch. And I think he relies on that linebacker position to obviously be the leader. And having Nick there, a uh, player that's super smart and obviously one of the best linebackers in football, makes his job a little bit easier because that communication factor that – uh, you have to know the call. You have to be able to get guys in the right position if they line up wrong and make sure everybody knows what they're doing. And, and Nick has obviously showed that, and I think Drew coming in in the offseason has shown that, and then Willie Gay has obviously shown flashes of he can do everything at the linebacker position. But, yeah, they have they have the right pieces, and Spags is a great leader that guys love. I mean, everybody likes 
likes talking to him. He's obviously an East Coast guy and, and fun to talk to. He's got a good attitude and uh, good accent too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he, he he expects a lot out of his guys. And um, I think the more that you're there, I think you see that and you see how much guys uh, respect him. Who was the hardest coach? Like, like I'm not saying like like mean or, or bad, but just who, who asked the most out of you? Uh, I think it, it would depend on who you are. I think uh, obviously if you're Pat, uh, EB, Coach Reed, sure. um, if you're myself, it's obviously you mo- special teams coach, yeah. some coach Tobe, and then my receiver coach G Lou. Uh, it's it's tough to say. I think it's player to player, but obviously, I think you can point to EB as being a coach that's hard on the details, and I think that's what you want as a player because you know those details are what makes players great. And uh, if you're not holding yourself accountable, at least there's somebody that will hold you accountable. And I think that's something that, like I said, as a player, you want. I mean, you don't want everything to be spoon fed to you. You want uh, a coach to get on you if you mess something up and. I think that's why everybody respects EB so much. Well, and that's why I'm glad you said EB. That was the way I was hoping you were going to go with yep. that because now EB's gone. He's in Washington. I've been a big uh, Matt Nagy fan. Yep. I always thought he got unfairly canned yeah. in Chicago. I mean, you go 34 and 31 in Chicago. You didn't draft that guy. Right. You didn't draft Trubisky. Yeah. You also get him a Pro Bowl nod. You yeah. win Coach of the Year in Chicago says, you know what? That ain't good enough for us. Right. Now look where they're at. Yeah. Doesn't matter. He's now the OC for Kansas City. The enemy is in Washington. You're looking at what Washington's done. How much of that's the enemy? You know, we may never know, but yeah. it looks like he's helped turn that offensive round uh, around. Yeah. Do you think that the loss of Eric Bieniemy is a little bigger for the offense and maybe some of the wide receivers than people are giving credence to? Uh, I think so. Uh, I've had conversations with Sherm about it. It's like, like I said, those details that that EB. Uh, harps on every single day that he uh, he's just tough on. I think that's something that I don't know if it's lost. Obviously, I'm not there, so I don't know what happens day to day. Like I don't know who the the detail guy is, but sure. EB. I mean, every single day you knew what you were getting from him, and um, I think he's shown in Washington what he's doing. I mean, the offense, their offense looks completely different, and they're playing well because of. I want to say EB. I mean, obviously the players play, but uh, it seems like. He's putting putting guys in the right position to make plays and and have success. So it's fun to see him be successful. I hope their defense turns it around because they obviously have the players on defense to sure. be a really good team. Um, and you want EB to obviously be successful. So uh, I'm gonna cheer. I'm gonna keep cheering for EB. Hopefully everything continues to go well for him personally. Uh, but. At the end of the day, it's a team sport, so it goes both ways. Yeah. We're here live at Hollywood Casino at Kansas Speedway. Garrett Dieter is our guest. We'll take a quick break, come back. We will take a little look ahead at the Monday night football game, Sports Radio 810 WHB. Welcome again to KC Legend Show right here, Sports Radio 810 WHB. We're here live at Hollywood Casino at Kansas Speedway. If you want to watch the game, the best spot is right here, Hollywood Casino at Kansas Speedway. Thank you to Garrick Dieter. Great having him on, getting his insights, some behind-the-scenes look at the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, tonight's game, Monday Night Football, Packers, Raiders, Raiders 1-3, Packers 2-2. Two two. Big out for the Packers. Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is out, inactive for this game. A.J. Dillon, if you got it on the A.J. Dillon betting segment, 
if you if you bought in on that early, like your boy. I'm feeling pretty good right about now. No Aaron Jones. Devontae Adams is good to go in this one. Devontae Adams, revenge game. It's a little revenge game here, Dylan. Is it more of a revenge game for the Packers or for Devontae? That's a very good question. I think you can convince yourself either side if you're betting yeah. on any time touchdown with Devontae. As a dude who needs 36 points from Devontae Adams in fantasy football, I'm saying revenge game for Devontae. That is what I need tonight. I like it. All right, it is a two-point spread. Vegas is favored at home. Who do you have? I'm going to go Packers. Go, Pack, go. I think Jordan Love gets it done. And Devontae Adams, he won't be happy moving to or to 1-4. I'm thinking if you get a Jacoby Myers anytime touchdown, you might uh, cash in. Well. We'll be back next Monday right here at Hub Casino at Kansas. Speed for the Keys, for the KC Legends Show. Until then, we are out.